I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is James Twyman, New York Times bestselling author, film producer, and musician. His new book is Brother, Son, Sister, Moon. James Twyman, Ph.D., has always had a special affinity for St. Francis of Assisi, so much so that the internationally famed Peace Troubadour, as he is called, recently took orders as a Franciscan hermit and was inspired to write his most recent book, Giovanni and the Camino of St. Francis. Now he will bring his new musical on St. Francis, Brother, Son, Sister, Moon, to Broadway. And with the beloved saint as his model, will travel a continent, penniless, on foot, and with whatever food, housing, and further transportation that God will provide to get him there. He's the New York Times bestselling author of 16 books, has recorded over 18 albums, including the Billboard chart bestseller, I Am Wishes Fulfilled, and along with Dr. Wayne Dwyer, has produced or directed seven films. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on today. Um, Hi. James, yeah. Well, it does seem that God... Yeah. I was just going to say, it seems God is with you, considering that you've all that you've accomplished. (laughs) So, uh, thank you. I just wanted to clarify one thing. Okay, go ahead. Dr. Wayne Dyer and I did not direct or produce seven movies together. We, it was the CD. Uh, Oh, okay, (laughs) good. Announced it sounded like we did seven movies together. I just wanted to be clear on that. Okay, good, because that sounded pretty good that you did seven movies together, but okay. <laughs> I know, I, that would have been even more fun. I kind of <laughs> wish that was the case. Well, you, I don't think you, you know, there's not a dearth of fun things that you do anyway. You do. Uh, so let's start. Okay, so you've done all these things. You are now going to take your book to Broadway, a musical. Um, obviously, that's very exciting. But let's start from the beginning. How, first of all, what was your interest and in, how did you get interested in St. Francis of Assisi in the beginning? Well, it's a tough question because it just was one of those things you're raised with when you're raised as I was in a very Irish Catholic home. St. Francis was always around. But for most of my childhood, it was what we would call the birdbath St. Francis the one that most people know because there are birdbath statues and uh, in gardens almost everywhere you look today. Uh, and then when I was a little bit older, I started to get more deeply interested. I had a very dear friend who was a Franciscan friar, and he inspired me right after high school to enter the Franciscan order, which I did, and was there for only a couple of years. But there's a saying that once St. Francis gets a hold of you, he never lets go. And that certainly was the truth with me. It just—he's a very compelling character to the point that, 800 years later, he's still the most beloved Catholic saint in the world. People from almost every tradition honor and love him. Uh, movies, books are always written about him, and I think especially today, he is a an important figure because. The, the message of St. Francis, I believe, is just as important today as it was 800 years ago. And that, I think, was the primary motivation between this book, Giovanni, and the communal St. Francis, as well as the musical Brother Son, Sister Moon. What is, you talked about his values, and you think they're rele- as relevant today as they were 800 years ago. So what are his values? I know he starts out with values. Let's start out with the first, I know the values of inclusion, for instance, which 
and, and, and there are many more. So let's talk about some of those. Sure. Yeah. Well, there, there are three things. Um, let's begin with simplicity and humility. So Francis was, you could say, the rich kid in Assisi. This was a time in which the upper middle class was just beginning to come into existence, and his father was a rich cloth merchant. And he had everything, and he loved it. He wanted to go off and be a knight and be chivalrous. And then he had a very deep experience when he was captured during the war with a neighboring town, thrown into prison for a year. And it it cracked his heart open. And ultimately, he realized the valuelessness of all the things that he once thought were so important. And he left it all in very dramatic form. One day, uh, when his father drug him to the bishop's palace to, uh, because he was basically giving away all of his father's money, and Francis stripped naked in front of the whole town, gave all of his clothes back to his father, and then walked out of the town forever. And, and, and he began a life of deep simplicity, what he would call holy poverty. So, and I think that that there is a, a movement toward minimalism and simplicity today that's very important that his life speaks to. Uh, the second would be. I just want to, uh, you know, I want to respond to, I do want to respond to that though, because it seems that sure. most of our great leaders or even religious leaders, I mean, uh, Jesus or, did the same thing. He was disgusted with the money lenders in the temple. And then I'm thinking of, didn't Buddha, he came from a very wealthy family, went out into Absolutely. the real world when he was, I forgot what age, and realized, oh, this is not what I grew up with, and and did the same thing as you're describing St. Francis of Assisi. Yeah. So there's a kind of, uh, I don't know what you, a consistency to these kinds of, of, of people, uh, leaders. Absolutely. And, you know, the Buddha would, would, be, would be an excellent example. But for Francis, he, his primary goal and really everything about him was to try and imitate Jesus, to do what Jesus said, to see if that was possible. So everything he did uh, with the simplicity and, uh, and the peace, for example, it was the next thing I was going to mention. Francis was the first great interreligious peacemaker. And that was actually from an event that happened 800 years ago this year. Uh, basically, the Crusades were raging out of control. The leader of the Muslim force was the Sultan al-Tamil of Egypt, who once said that he would give a Byzantine gold coin to any Muslim who brought him the head of a Christian. And when Francis heard this, he said, that's where I'm going. I'm going to see this guy. And everyone told him, you're going to be killed, you're going to be tortured. And he said, it doesn't matter, I need to go and talk to this man. And of course, he, along with his brother Illuminato, they were captured, they were, they were tortured, and they were sentenced to die. And there they were in prison, just singing and dancing and celebrating, to the point that the sultan wanted to have sport with him, and gave him an audience. And we don't know what happened, but we know that the sultan was so moved by the spirit and the simplicity of this man, that he not only let them live, but let them preach anywhere they wanted throughout the Islamic world. And that's why he's considered to be the great uh, religious uh, peace worker, because he was the first person to do anything like that. And in 1986, Pope John Paul II honored that legacy when he called all the leaders of the different religions of the world back to Assisi. For the first time ever, they gathered not to talk or discuss, but to simply pray the peace prayers from their religion. And 
that deeply impacted me because when I was given a sheet of paper that had the peace prayers uh, that were prayed there, as I read each one, beginning with the Hindu prayer and then the, the Muslim and the Buddhist prayer, I heard music and I just began to play along. And within one hour, I put all 12 of the peace prayers to music. And that was 25 years ago, this year. And I just began traveling around the world thinking I just wanted to imitate Francis and share these prayers and began getting invited to many other countries, like Saddam Hussein invited me to Iraq or Bosnia. I, I want you to stop there because other- I did have that information from your from the your description from... Um, your PR people, and it said that you had been, you had, uh, I guess, talked to, performed for Saddam Hussein. What was that like? I mean, that that's, that's uh, you know, before Well, we go it was on, a remarkable uh, opportunity. It was at the same time in 1998 when uh, we were right at the, the brink of another war. President Clinton was in office, and uh, I was in New York on a, or rather I was in London on a book tour, and I just happened to make a remark off the cuff online uh, on the show that that I wish I could just sit down with Saddam Hussein and sing the Muslim prayer of peace for him. Maybe it, that would create a miracle. And next thing I knew, I was on a flight to to Amman and taking a taxi drive twelve hours through the desert to get to Baghdad. To Baghdad. And it was an, an amazing thing performing there at the National Theater, playing all the twelve peace prayers. And the people were wonderful, and I didn't know how I would be received, but they just received me so beautifully because they were as dedicated to creating peace as I was. So and, you didn't feel like your life was in danger and, and, at all? I, I didn't, with, no. Yeah. I, and in fact, I, I never really have in all the adventures that I've had in these countries. I've never really felt that I was in any, any great danger. And that's, it just goes to show the same thing that Francis demonstrated, that when you go with peace in your heart, then that is transformed because we really want the same thing. That's why all the different religions have a peace prayer. We're all pointed in the same direction, but we have a different way of getting there. And that's what I have found as I've traveled to all these countries and now getting ready to perform this musical across the U.S., which we'll talk about soon. Uh, I'm, I'm sure I'll find the same thing. But where are we today? I'm thinking fast forward, you know, 800 years ago. Are we, have we, have we changed? Is there peace? I mean, it seems to me that we always seem to be fighting amongst the religions, fighting amongst the countries, and how about just here in our own country? Uh, maybe you can put that, your your um, musical in the context of what's happening now here politically. Yeah. Well, I would say that things are, are very similar to how they were at the time of Francis, and that's why I think this message is as important today as it was then. Things are more polarized than ever before. People are, are, are I think it's the last-ditch effort of that mind frame, that idea, uh, trying to get traction. But I think the reason that so many of these things are happening is because there are so many people who are, uh, who are waking up and who are focused on peace. And, uh, you know, one of the main things that inspired me to write this book and to create this musical on St. Francis was a quote that I read that was uh, from a 
person in history in the 20th century. In fact, I'll tell you what the quote was, and let's see if you can guess who said this. He basically said, the revolution we started uh, failed. What we really needed were 10 St. Francis of Assisi's. Who do you think might have said that? Uh, Bruce Springsteen. (laughs) That's an excellent guess. No, it was not Bruce. It was Vladimir Lenin. Ah, In the early 20th century, after the Russian Revolution, he realized that what they tried to do had failed, that it had created more atrocities than it had solved. And what they really needed, if they had 10 people as dedicated to peace as St. Francis was, then that would have solved it. And when I read that from an atheist, I thought, okay, I'm, I'll be number 10. Who are the other nine? Who are the other nine that are willing to step forward and say, I'm that dedicated to peace as well? And that's why I'm traveling across the U.S. penniless in January and February on the way to New York to perform this musical as an off-Broadway show. And we're going to, I have no idea even how I'm getting from city to city or where we're sleeping, or where we're going to be eating. Uh, we're, it's in total trust, because it's well, radicals. Uh, like but it's radical, but I want, James, are you, you said we, are you doing it by yourself, or with your team, or with your group? You're going to go I'm, from... I'm yeah, coming okay. with, with one other person whose name is Bill Free, and, and that's because France has always believed in traveling two by two. So the two of us will be going together. Uh, the, the musical is a one-man musical, so I don't need other people to do it. I can do it anywhere. Uh, but I, I felt it was important to share this journey. So my friend Bill Free and I will be starting in Portland, going down to Santa Barbara, and then straight across the U.S. Once again, having no idea even how we're going to get there, though we have 12 different you know, places that will be doing the musical until we get to New York. Uh, but I just have total faith, at, just as I did when I went to Iraq, or just as we had, I had when we did a... A uh, concert on a hill overlooking a village in ISIS uh, in Syria that was held by ISIS. Uh, you know, these are radical ideas, but it's the radicals that change the world, not people who are following convention. So, when you go across country with your friend, and you you don't know where you're going to eat or sleep, or that's you're just starting out um, without any. Necessarily, I guess we have certain expectations. I guess I mean, it, I, isn't does your journey? You, you're going to feed the homeless and invite them mm-hmm. to. Yeah. Okay. So how does that work? Let's say you go to, and I have the list of some of the towns that you're going to go to. Let's start. You're going to go from Portland, Santa Barbara. Okay. So that's your first stop. We actually start in Portland. Oh, and then down to Santa Portland. Barbara. Yeah. And then Phoenix, Sedona. We just added a, added a few. So Phoenix, Sedona, uh, Taos, Santa Fe, Kansas City, St. Louis, Peoria, uh, Chicago, Cleveland, Philadelphia, uh, Northern Massachusetts, and then finally in New York. Was there any reason why you chose these particular cities? Uh, a combination of two things. Uh, Things would just open up naturally in the venues where people were, uh, were being sponsored. But also we had to follow a certain route. We, mm-hmm. we couldn't go, say, from a, a northern town or a city to a southern one and then back and forth. We had to you know, keep it relatively a straight line. Uh, 
But certain things would happen. For example, uh, we had already booked uh, the the event in St. Louis and in Chicago, and then I received a phone call from a Catholic church uh, in Peoria, Illinois, called Holy Family, asking us to come there on the way to Chicago. Now, I should say that when I was a young child, we moved around a lot, and we did spend three years living in, in central Illinois. And so when I received this phone call from this priest who said he had just read Giovanni in the Camino of St. Francis and heard about the tour, wanted us to come to Peoria, I couldn't believe it because this was my former parish. This is where I graduated from grade school and was confirmed and, and was an altar boy. And here I was now, completely out of the blue, being called back, being invited back to, to this church. And these are the kinds of miracles that have just opened up. And I know it's going to be the same way as we travel across the country on the way to New York. And then you, you mentioned something else about feeding the, the, the homeless. We're doing something really unique in New York that I don't think anyone's ever done before. And that is during the day, we'll be uh, uh, passing out tickets to the homeless, inviting them to come and to share with us and to be with us uh, during the show as our guests. And we'll be feeding them before the concert starts. And this is the reason we're doing that is because this is what St. Francis would have done. He would have included everyone, especially the most marginalized. When, when he first left Assisi, he went and he lived with the people that he was once so afraid of. And that was the lepers. And the homeless are the lepers in today's society. People that we just walk past and, and often don't even notice. And Francis would have embraced these people. So when we're in New York, these, I'm hoping the audience will be half filled with people right off the streets because I think that's something Francis would have loved. Yeah, I think it will be. Probably. We have thousands of homeless people here. That's where I am in New York in the city. And so, you, you're oh, probably, great. yeah, so you're pro- probably right. I have to come see you. You're going to be at the church in the village. That's right. Church in the village from February 20th to March 1st. We'll be in the church in the village. And, and by the way, people, if they want, can watch the first 20 minutes of the musical. Uh, they just need to go to my website, which is Jimmy Twyman, T-W-Y-M-A-N.com. There's a link right there at the top to go to the page for the musical. I recently, only a few weeks ago, performed in Assisi in Italy, and it was shot there. And we put the first 20 minutes of it up on on the website so people can see it right now if they want and see all the different cities and the places where we'll be doing it as we travel across the country so we just hope people like you in new york or anywhere along the line uh can come and be with us live i mean that's very exciting i mean what do you think what's your expectation after you finish when you you know this are you gonna be in new york for two weeks i think it's it but um mm-hmm. That's right. And yeah, so when you finished going across country, um, what are your expectations? And all these cities are very different. They, I mean, different just in terms of the demographics and the types of cities they are. And um, it would seem to me you maybe get different kinds of responses from these different places you're going to. Oh, I'm sure it's going to be very different. And I don't know if I have expectations. The only expectation that I really have is, or or not expectation, but I'm wondering how it's going to affect me personally. Because from the very beginning, from the time we begin in Portland, 
what I'm going to be doing is stepping into the character of St. Francis and staying there that entire two months, much as a, a method actor would do, uh, do in a movie. For example, Daniel Day-Lewis, when he uh, performed as Lincoln in Spielberg's film, for the eight or nine months that they shot that film, he never left character. He was Lincoln that whole time. Every night his wife slept with Abraham Lincoln. And I even heard oh, that when exciting. they finished shooting, <laughs> it took yeah, it took him three days to get his Irish accent back because he entered so deeply into the character. And that's what I'm going to be doing with Francis. And so I'm what do you have to do to pre- the end. Can I ask you what's your preparation? Do you have to? I mean, what is your preparation? You're talking about his preparation. You know, he just became Abraham Lincoln in his just daily activities, not even when he's doing the filming. So what are you doing? I mean, do you have to? That's similar. A, a, a wide variety of things, actually, but mainly uh, just deep prayer and surrender, just asking to be used as an instrument of peace, which is what Francis would have been doing. You know, that very famous prayer, uh, which Francis did not write, by the way. Everyone loves the prayer of St. Francis, which begins by saying, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Uh, but Francis did not write that, but it does seem to capture him and capture who he was. So uh, that's going to be my only goal, is to just keep, to stay in that spirit, to, to allow that energy to overtake me. I find it every time I do the musical, I've done it 30 or 40 times so far, and every time I do it, I feel the energy of Francis envelop me. And so all I'm going to really try to do in, in this tour is to stay in that, not just leave when the musical is over, but stay in that for that, in, that entire two months and see how that transforms my life. Well, James, you are, I mean, this is going to be done live, not just, obviously, not a, just a film or on stage. So I, I would anticipate, don't you think when you go two months, you're going across country, you're going to have people who want to join you in your... You know, Maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, we'll see, yeah. Yeah. And have you thought about that or what you would do with that? I mean, you're creating sort of a whole new... I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think all we can really do is, is take it as it comes and not try to overplan. You know, if you try to overplan something like this, you're going to miss the miracles. Uh, I mean, this, this may be kind of like a Forrest Gump movie <laughs> with, <laughs> when people start to follow. And as I said before, my, my goal is to be one of those 10 St. Francis's. And if nine more step forward... That's great. I, I think that would be beautiful. Uh, but I'm, I'm trying to go into this as open as possible, to trust the miracle and to, to see what happens and see what reveals itself. And I don't know what that's going to look like or what's going to happen, but I know it's going to be remarkable because it, when people t- take a step like this, like my friend Bill and I are doing, to, to really try and live this completely, I, I think... That's inspiring, and, and we need inspiration today, more than ever. I mean, things are so difficult right now, and, and the, the political situation is crazier than it's ever been before. But I don't think we're going to find a solution to that in the problem. We're going to find it just as they did in the time of St. Francis 800 years ago, when someone steps outside the program and says there is another way of doing this. What do you think the roadblocks, roadblocks could or would be? I mean, we are in a very kind of volatile, you know, 
uh, difficult times politically and in every other way, really. So, like, I guess maybe starting with yourself, what do you think you may have most difficulty with? Um, and or what do you think some of the that people will present to you in these d different venues? I mean, anything, the negatives. I, I'm not sure. Of course, I'll just take that as it comes. I, you know, for me right now, it's just trusting this process and not trying to figure it out, but let it figure me out. And I feel like if I can just stay there, no matter what comes up, we're going to have the tools to deal with it. Uh, be because I mean, things do happen. When, on any journey, we encounter obstacles. The question is, are we willing to stay in that space of love and, and forgiveness no matter what? I, those are my three favorite words. No matter what, can we stay here? And that was something that Francis perfectly embodied. And by the way, we, we should also talk about the feminine counterpart of St. Francis, who so often gets forgotten in this, and that's St. Clair. St. Clair, who was the first woman to follow Francis, is such an important part of this because, you know, she was practically a princess. She was the closest thing to royalty that they had in Assisi. And so when she left home and cut her hair and put on a, a nun's habit and lived her life in complete service, that was a very big deal. And so she inspired so many thousands of other women, even her, in her own lifetime. And popes and the leaders of countries would come to her for advice. And so she was just as powerful as Francis was. And, and that story of Francis and Claire and how other people were inspired and began to just come and live with them, maybe that's what's going to happen. Maybe a movement is going to start today that can create a new renaissance because people don't realize that Francis and Claire lived at the end of what we now know as the Dark Ages. But they were also the inspiration of the Renaissance. The painters and the, the great artists of that time were very moved by especially Francis. And, and maybe if there were only 10 of us like that, maybe a new Renaissance would begin. That's what I'm hoping. Well, I think that's, we have two minutes left, and I think that was really a great, uh, I guess, insight to end the, the interview with, because we don't, yes, everybody knows about Francis, but why doesn't anybody know about Claire? I mean, at which is, I mean, I think your timing is, is really good. We need to hear about her too. And including that in your, uh, yes. in your, yeah. And when you go across country, so, okay, a minute left. So brother, son, sister moon is the title of your book. And, we can oh, buy that's it. the musical. The book is Giovanni and the Camino of St. Francis. Oh, okay. That's the, t or the musical. Well, that's the musical we want to see at the, in, uh, in, in, um, in New York, at the church in the village here in the city, anyway, in New York City. That's right. Yeah. And that's in, uh, what, give us the dates for that. Well, in New York, it goes yeah. from February 20th to March 1st. And that, but I begin the tour uh, in the beginning of January in Portland on January 4th and then moving all the way across the country. Okay, great. Well, good luck on the tour. I'm going to come and see you at the musical. I mean, this is going to be a really, yeah, this is a, yeah, a very cool. And event. once again, people can get that schedule just by going to jimmytwyman.com. Okay, great. Thanks for being on the show this morning. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. <laughs> <laughs>